Cinema Spectator, a movie podcast, is produced because of listeners like you. If you want to support our show, you can share it, give us a rating on iTunes, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ecfsproductions, where you can throw a couple dollars our way and get access to our exclusive content. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual get together each week and discuss a movie. Today's film is The Fugitive from 1993, directed by Andrew Davis, starring Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. And I am joined, of course, with our resident expert, Cameron Tuttle. How are you doing this week, man? How's it been? I'm doing good. Why are you uh, introing the show for me? What's, What's going on? Am I sick? It's because you came to me and said... I don't know what to do this week. And I said, I'm seizing the day. I'm going to just take control. Uh, I am our I am our resident casual. My name is Isaac. Did I already say my name? Isaac Ransom? Maybe. I think you might have. I don't remember. I'm not usually hosting. so I'm, And it's also a Monday night. So just give me a break. All right. It's but, always uh, a Monday yeah. night. That's not an excuse. Okay. <laughs> just let me off the hook on this one. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. So we watched The Fugitive this week. I'm excited to get into it. But before we get into our full-length review, Cameron and I like to dilly-dally around. Uh, that came out horribly. I don't know who said <laughs> What that. are we doing? <laughs> uh, so tell me, Cameron, how's your week been? Uh, it's been good. I've been um, kind of having a relaxed-ish week. Um, I've been... Uh, my, my wife has been... Um, not under the way she had like a small procedure. Um, and so she's been kind of semi couch ridden. Um, and so we've been watching a lot of queer eye. That's been my (laughs) movie exposure for the week. Um, queer eye is a very interesting show. I don't know if you've ever watched it. Um, I have not watched it. Juliana really likes it. She, I think she's been trying to get me to watch it, but is there a new season or something? I'm sure I'm yeah, going to get roped in at some point. I don't know. It's yeah. whatever. But okay. The thing about it is <laughs> it's like hoarders, but without all the drama and like, right. so it takes away the, the most fun part of hoarders for me. Um, oh. or like all of those, you know, those shows it's too wholesome. I want like the devastation, you know, right. I want them to be like, at each other's throats like i want i want conflict the the show is really just too too conflict averse everybody's Mm. nice to each other everybody's like so kind and wholesome they all like say great things about each other and then uh you know everybody goes home happy their life is improved tenfold and i'm like that's not true that's fake (laughs) you know (laughs) i want i'm not even sure wait wait, what what is the show is it like a extreme home makeover kind of thing yeah yeah so yeah sort of um except they make over their whole life um so it's like you've been uh straight for too long and you need to take some lessons from the gays so um, you you need to learn how to dress better you need to learn how to cook better. You need to pick up the mess in your house. Um, so it's like, you know, the idea is there for something conflict driven to happen. Right. Right. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to cook anymore, you know, whatever. Um, but they just never get to that. Everybody's like so receptive to, to the, uh, to the gay suggestions, um, which, you know, is, I mean, they always have good suggestions, but it's, I, I want a little more, 
back and forth, you know. Cameron wants to put a uh, straight white conservative father uh, on Queer Eye to be remade. There was Just... one. There was an episode that that was like he was like in the church. He had like seven kids. And oh they, man! And, and they made his life a lot better. I don't know. I don't know what to say. No issues, man. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> yeah, Cameron's like, I want to see the. The arguments behind the scenes. Not, yeah, exactly. Not whatever's going on here. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about wives and watching conflict-averse shows, you know? Sometimes mm. it's just what they need. There's too much going on. I'm like, what's the fun in that, you know? Yeah, I, I just, just want to de-stress, what's your, you know? What's your uh, conflict-averse, like, de-stressor, you know? Oh, I, like I was thinking about this not the conf- other day. Like having no conflict? Yeah, because Juliana was like, well, Isaac, you you know, you know, say you go rest when you play Call of Duty, and then I hear you screaming <laughs> back there at people. I said, well, you know, it, it is it's it so kind true. of, it's like I get my rage out through that, you know? And she's like, yeah, but that doesn't sound very relaxing. So I, I'm, I'm now I've been kind of like lost of like, do I have sort of that zen, like, sort of entertainment? For me, it was the only one that I could think of is I got really addicted to Slay the Spire, but... Still, There's you're still, still fighting. Yeah. yeah, you're still fighting enemies, you know, and strategizing, totally. and you're just conquering, you know. I, I'm like, what is the, where's my serene, peaceful, you know, fishing simulator that's in my life or something? I don't know. Yeah, you know? I guess I, d- I don't have any of that. I think maybe Factorio would have been, like, the closest for me. But even then, it's, like, it's still pretty conflict-driven, a little bit. Um, I don't know. For me, I guess I like... I like those, I like the fighting. Um, I want to be, like, that's why, you know, you come, you're, you're so right that you come home from a long, stressful day of work, and then you, uh, you start playing Elden Ring, and you just scream at the TV for, like, two hours, you know? Like, is that really, <laughs> is that really the, the best thing for your mental health? I don't know, but that's what I, that's what I choose to do. <laughs> just toxic males on this show. That's it. A conflict <laughs> only. War, conquest, domination. You know, like, <laughs> man, I have no idea. I, because I, I, I am, I feel like, like if I did get in, like my friend Caleb is really into fishing. And I'm like, that mm. does seem nice, you know? Totally. That does seem nice. I, I, maybe I do need to do something like that. Um, I know we always talk about that I'm into grilling. But uh, it is a lot of effort. I haven't grilled in a month or two, and uh, that's pretty peaceful. But I I don't know. I <laughs> for as far as like couch entertainment, I'm trying. There's got to be a movie, Cameron. There's got to be a movie for me. Patterson. Maybe Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mean, just like the Zone Out kind of film. Um, maybe all the Christopher Nolan movies. <laughs> Well, those have conflict too. Uh, Cause I was thinking about like, Oh, Edgar Wright films, you know, like those, but that like the center around it, you know, like you got to have conflict in, in, in your movies, you know, I don't know. Everything is conflict. Everything. What about planet earth? You ever, do you ever watch, you ever zone out to planet earth? I like, no. I like some good, um, earth documentaries for sure. Hmm. I am not a documentary guy too much. And then when I do watch documentary, it's usually horrific tragedy. So like, you know, Woodstock 99 or, yeah, yeah. you know, the fire festival. I'm like, Oh, this is pretty good. You know, I could watch this. Um, but yeah, I don't, I I'm not sure. It was, it was interesting. Actually it relates to this movie. When I sat down and watched this, I watched it with Jules 
And uh, I was talking to her, and I was like, well, you know, this is, you know, there's murder and stuff, there's conflict. Um, and I was like, but I think you're going to like it, because it just kind of is, even though it has some dated elements, like the pace is right, the music is weird enough to kind of engage you in an interesting way. I'm excited to get into this review, uh, to dig into it deeper, but you haven't been watching anything else but Queer Eye, Cameron. That's it for <laughs> Yeah, <you>. literally nothing. <laughs> wow. All right. I, I well, you know that tells you who's been uh, taking up the TV. I'll just say, yeah. <laughs> Juliana and I started watching two different shows. We we had a night where I think she, um, she she was tired and whatnot, and we decided to check. We try decided to like spin the wheel on a couple <laughs> shows on Netflix, <laughs> and they it's so interesting. Netflix has like a very like specific look now. It's almost like how AMC has a look or, you know, HBO has a look for their shows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Netflix has, like, this kind of modern bokeh, black magic, speed production kind of look to everything they do. So we started watching this one about a university. It was, like, teachers at a university or something. It had um, that gal from Grey's Anatomy, Christina Yoon, I think I got it wrong. Maybe something like that. Do you know who I'm talking about? Nope. Let me see if I can find. I've never watched Grey's name. Anatomy. So, you know, Christine. And then we also watched this other one about. It was. I remember the name of the show because it was more interesting. Um, it was called. Okay, maybe I don't remember the name. <laughs> It was like it was like clickbait. That's what it was. Clickbait. Yes. Um, sorry, that's her character's name, Christina Yang, in the show. But who plays her? Grey's Anatomy cast. Juliana's screaming in the room next to me. Is it Sandra O? Oh? Yeah, Sandra O. Oh. oh, okay. Sorry, I'm I just used the to the only person hear- I know. In yeah. <laughs> So she's on a show on Netflix where they're teachers. We watched one episode. Nothing happened. It was just teachers. And the drama was like, oh, the English department is outdated and irrelevant. And so we were like, yeah, I don't know. And then we watched this other show called Clickbait. Um, and it was like like they had a family dinner. And like they, like this girl gets in a fight with her brother. And then he goes missing and has this viral video where it's like at 50 million views. I'm going to die or something. And so then all the police and everybody, it's like trying to be this true crime thing. They're setting up characters. And Julian, I was like, this is too dark. I'm not really into it. And she's like, at least it's more interesting. But it was just this weird conflict. Again, what we're talking about where it's like one show is too boring, but it could have been more <laughs> brain dead. Right. Yeah. And this other show is too, in, it's like too dark and weird. And, and it's not that it was even that dark. It was just kind of, it just wasn't very good at too much besides being like semi thrilling. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's interesting how you kind of crave like those, those, uh, shows that are easy to consume for me, certain sitcoms and whatnot have that appeal. Like, like the office or you, know, you can watch new girl over and over and over again. And it's like, it's Arrested development. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Th- those kind of shows, I would say maybe those are my, those are like the, the uh, guilty pleasures that can keep going, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, not too much on the movie front on my end. Um, so let's, I mean, let's dig into The Fugitive. I just wanted to say, if you enjoy the show, we appreciate you being here. 
Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we did a bunch of movies on Christopher Nolan, or a bunch of movies on Christopher Nolan's catalog. Obviously, talking about Oppenheimer stuff. Summer's winding down. We had some good uh, conversation closers last week. Tim Smith was on the show with you, Cameron. Was Juzo on that show as well? Yes, he was. Cool. I haven't listened to it yet. Tim's gonna kill me because he's like, "You got to give me notes on it." Um, but what'd you guys talk about? Um, so we did a fun game. Uh, <laughs> basically where we decided that Christopher Dolan was the greatest director in the last 25 years. Um, oh. And uh, basically it was, you know, in sports you have your brackets. Uh, right, and, right. And so we, the three of us, we voted on on who we like best out of the brackets. And we went through a lot of directors and we kind of whittled it down. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, Christopher Nolan was the best on, on that list. So it was all directors that started in the last 25 years. Um, mm. and, uh, and yeah, he won. So <laughs> no, no surprises there. But uh, um, we, had, we had a lot of good discussions about sort of who we would pick over who. Um, Bong Joon-ho got really close. Um, he was, he, was um, he would have been my second choice, but he ended up being third. He got eliminated by those two, two scoundrels. So it was fun. It was a good, uh, good little discussion. Um, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I know the last two episodes of the show have been a little bit more topical. Um, so a lot, we've heard a lot of good feedback on those episodes. Please check them out. Let us know what you think. You can message us on Patreon, DM us on Instagram, uh, all the different messaging services. It's all at ECFS Productions. Um, so please reach out. We thank you guys for listening to the show. We are going to get back into our movie reviews. Of course, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions and throw a couple dollars our way get some of the bonus content that's available there. Cameron and I have been talking about revamping our Patreon for a while, but whatever you guys can do, we appreciate it. We thank you for being here, uh, hanging out with us. So let's talk about The Fugitive, a quintessential 90s action movie, Cameron. I'm excited mm. to sit down and talk about this one with you. I think we can go in a lot of different directions, and I guess, because I do feel like the movie, yeah, we're going to review it, uh, but... but it's pretty cool to look at the nineties in, in a, in a different light, like in consideration for where Hollywood was at, um, thinking about a movie like this coming out in the modern day, like it feels like this is, there, there are not movies like this anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I do want to get into that discussion. We can look forward to that, but let's just, you have, you've never seen this movie. I want to hear your impressions right off the bat. Um, I guess, I guess you can give a short summary as well about some of the plot and uh, let us know what you think. Yeah. So, um, the fugitive stars Harrison Ford, um, in his kind of quintessential action movie starring role run. Um, he was in a lot of the, um, the Jack Ryan movies in the nineties. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of those, like, um, I have not, uh, clear and present danger and Patriot games. Um, you know, he was kind of leading man in this era, uh, but this is right in the middle of those two movies, actually. Um, I might have seen Patriot Games, actually. Right? Yeah. Um, I haven't seen either of those. And, and in fact, um, you know, other than the Indiana Jones movies, this is kind of the first one that I can think of that I've seen Harrison Ford as, as sort of the leading man um, in, this, in this kind of role, which was, which was very interesting. Um, so it's, it uh, follows him. He's a, um, a 
cardiologist, a surgeon, um, and he uh, comes home after a late night um, doing things that surgeons do. Um, he comes home to find someone murdering his wife. Um, and it's not really played as a mystery. Like, it's not a um, gone girl type situation. You know who, you know, you know there's someone else in the house pretty immediately. Um, and uh, then he gets tried and convicted and sentenced to death. Um, and on his way to to the gas chamber or the electric chair, actually, back then, um, Jeez. <laughs> he uh, they uh, get into an altercation in the transport bus and um, he escapes from, uh, you know, from prison. And what follows is kind of a series of of um, sort of run-ins with the uh, the main U.S. Marshal uh, Tommy Lee Jones, who's tasked with with bringing him back in because um, he's he's a prisoner, and uh, uh, well, along with him escaping this, um, you know, and being on the run, he's also looking for the person who um, who kills who, you know, had killed his wife. And so it's kind of this dual cat and mouse um, and mystery, uh, which is a lot of fun. I feel like it juggles those two things pretty well. Um, you know, when you forgot that he's, you know, trying to, to solve his wife's murder, they come in with with that element. And then when he's, you know, he's getting close in that, then, you know, it's the the cat and mouse comes back into play. So... Um, a lot of it is about the relationship that he has with with the other people around, um, but also just sort of the um, the action packed uh, part of of Tommy Lee Jones coming after him, um, and he him having to to outsmart his way out of the situation. Um, yeah, is there anything I I missed in terms of giving a small summary? Um, no, no, no. I mean the 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 plot itself. It's pretty, like, I I feel like that's not necessarily why you watch the movie. Uh, like you said, it's not really messing around with like, um, who done it. There's not really that aspect. It's more of a thrill ride to see, like, how that. It, I mean, it kind of is a chase movie in a certain it is. way. Oh, right? it's it's definitely a chase um, movie. Yeah, and so it's it it has its own sort of pull for entertainment i feel like you did a good job covering it you know what the movie's about but i think we're going to get into what makes the movie a little bit more special cameron honest thoughts i mean this is this is kind of out of nowhere what did what did you think watching it? yeah i i really loved it um like you were saying this era of film i think for one is one that i kind of look back on pretty fondly like i love these sort of kind of they're almost like, I don't know if it's cheesy or if it's sort of this, um, uh, maybe like simple. It's not, a, it's not cheesy. It's just like a simple action movie. Um, you know, it really reminds me of like the tone of something like total recall or, um, like, I don't know, even like, like speed in terms of its like energy and whatnot. Speed is probably tighter in a different way but um you know all of these movies are kind of uh they're very 
straightforward in what they're trying to do, um, which I really enjoy because there's something about a movie that's um, sort of quick and to the point and it takes a, um, you know, it takes this this simple concept and kind of it, it, it elevates it in a way um, that I just, I think is a little bit gone. There's no hint of irony in this movie there's no hint of um you know sort of subverting uh tropes or trying to do something more um uh you know more artistic than what it is it's really just a straight genre movie and it's distilled in a way that makes it just really perfect you know every time you want him to to be in like a hot situation, you know, there's, there's this, this, you know, the chase and there's the, the conflict between him and, and Tommy Lee Jones's character. And, and with his, with Tommy Lee Jones's character, you really like him. You're almost rooting for him in some ways to, to catch up to Harrison Ford. You know, you want him to escape, but there's also this, this sense of like, he's the, he's the, he's the guy on the team who um, like knows his stuff has it together is pushing them to be better pushing them to to sort of you know if if they think he he survived we're going to go search for him to make sure that he or you know if he, for, you know there's that famous scene where he falls off the uh, off the dam and um you know if he uh everyone else is thinking that he's dead um uh Kimball the Harrison Ford's character. Everybody else thinks he's dead. Um, and Tommy Lee Jones's character says, well, if he's dead, then shouldn't be hard to find, you know? So let's go get a, let's get out there. Like, let's, <laughs> let's keep going, you know? And there's something about his character that's very, um, respectable in a certain way. Um, so on both of these, you know, it's not like he's a villain. He's, he's a very interesting character in that way. And that, yeah, he's technically the villain, not really, but he's technically the, you know, the guy who's chasing him. Uh, but in the same way that, like, Catch Me If You Can, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the interplay is that you want to see both of them succeed. You know what I mean? So I, I really enjoyed that, um, that aspect of the film. Um, and then at the same time, like, I think... Like I said, there's not a lot of uh, movies that are this sort of um, straightforwardly like just action movies or just genre movies. Um, and so I respect that this, you know, came from that era. Um, I was kind of thinking like maybe we should do some more 90s like action movies. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, have you seen Total Recall? I don't. I remembered nothing about it if I have seen it. Okay. I don't know if I've seen it. So I kind of feel like. Well, anyways, we can talk about that later. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Those were my sort of first impressions. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's let's dig into some of the details because I do agree with you. That I think that the film is a product of its time. I do think that the film is fairly straightforward. I mean, I know I could see some film people say, Oh, you know, well, 
Like, could you imagine if they did a big twist at the end? I, I just don't think that's what the movie's about, even the way that the credits end, right? Did you feel like the movie ended abruptly? Uh, which, the first time I watched it, I think I felt that way. Um, um, where Not really. It kind of just doesn't overstay its welcome in a lot of places because it is straightforward. And I think where this film really shines for me on this viewing was how its pacing is almost like done like a batter, like hitting balls, like from one of those machines, you know, that's like shooting, Mm -hmm. like it's like home run, home run, home run. Right. That's kind of how the pace of this movie is. It's like, okay, you take a breather, then he swings. It's a hit. The bat goes back. Okay. You can breathe a second. Boom swings. It's like paced almost like horror, but in an action thriller kind of mindset. Um, and then every time you start to get bored, they introduce something that, um, that does a great job in re-engaging you, whether it's a moment where, um, like Harrison Ford is looking for, you know, the, the killer of his wife. Oh, that's a new element. He's been on the run for so long. It's cool to see him kind of play detective for a second, or there's a little bit of drama with him appearing in the hospital and suddenly he, you know, okay, well this is getting a little slow. He's doing the thing. Oh, now he, he, for some reason calls Tommy Lee Jones on the phone. Like what's going on here. Right. Suddenly there's something is vamping up and, and there's so many great set pieces with this film from like things that I think about a lot. The damn scene I think about often. Um, I love the visuals of that environment. I don't know what it is about it, but like, and I was literally telling Juliana this when we were watching. I was just like the foggy dam, the running water, the the trees and whatnot. It's just they got so lucky with the way the weather, uh, you know, was was present while they were filming there. Um, it just has like this rich ambience, or the, um, even the scene leading up to that with the helicopter flying, like real, real, like like actual real action, right? Real helicopter, real ambulance. You know, get yeah. the, you know, the train crashing on the Yeah, on the, the bus, train derailing, you know. right? There's the uh and, and it's not like it's not like Mad Max action. It's all grounded, right? There's no satire like you were saying in any any of its presentation. But it kind of makes it it kind of elevates it in a way. Um the set pieces around I, I think about him like doing the interview with the guy in the prison and like the way they're running up and down the stairs yeah. and the way that, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is like firing at the, at the, um, kind of like doors that close. Yeah. And his door and his foot sticking out of the, uh, the closed door. Yeah. That's That's great. It's great. To yeah. See. There's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of aggression in, in it. Like I, I, especially on this viewing, I loved the U S Marshall raid scene. Um, with the like like I don't negotiate like that whole scene I'm like this yeah. is so good like this is like one of my favorite scenes in the movie I think um and I can't really quite put my finger on like what what makes this movie stand out besides of how consistently fun it is right and consistently entertaining it is and that's what I love like as a casual like when I'm going in to watch a movie you're not going to you're not going to like I think most people probably don't think of the fugitive um, often, but like, it's just so good, you know, like it it is really just so good uh, overall. Um, The other thing that stood out to me is when, when I watched it this time, we were hot off the heels of watching the dark Knight, And I think that this movie has a lot of its same, of the same 
feel and vibe. I don't know if it's a relation to like being shot in Chicago and whatnot, but there are parallels that I drew uh, with the pacing and whatnot. I think the aspect that's missing from this movie that the Dark Knight does much better is a philosophical side. This movie doesn't really have that. Uh, it's just meant to kind of be entertaining for you. But you get some inklings, right? And so that's what I'm saying with like the the moment of like Tommy Lee Jones saying, I don't negotiate, right? There's like, there's something about his character that like the iceberg is, is deeper with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually seems a little deeper than Harrison Ford's character, right? Because Harrison Ford's just like a good guy trying to clear his name, you know? Um, yeah. But Tommy Lee Jones, there's a little bit about him that's more round than you expect to find with kind of just the guy that's pursuing him. Uh, I love, I love their dialogue of him being like, I don't care. Right. Like that's like such yeah. a, such a good way to like, um, sum up who his character is. And, and, uh, I don't know if you know this, but this movie kind of had a spinoff sequel. Did you know that Cameron? No, I didn't. Um, yeah, there's a film called us Marshals. Uh, it, later in the nineties, I mean, we could re we could visit it. I don't know if it is as good. Um, but it's essentially Tommy Lee Jones and his team get another movie just because people like them so much yeah, in this one. Yeah. Right. So like Cosmo is in the next one. Right. And they're, uh, they're kind of b- continuing their banter. It's probably ratcheted up a little bit more, but I just think that's interesting that, um, the studio was like, Hey, we're, we're kind of onto something here. I think what makes this movie stand out more is that it has such strong leads with, I mean, the supporting actors are really good, of course, backing up Tommy Lee Jones's presence, but then like Harrison Ford as well, like he's, he's really good in it. And I don't know if U.S. Marshals has that like secondary lead, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just Tommy Lee Jones doing the same team thing. Um, But it's been a while since I've seen it. So maybe I should check it out again. I'm not, I'm not fully sure, but you never know. This could have been like a mission impossible franchise, you know, it could have went its own way, but it sort of just stopped after that. So yeah, it doesn't have amazing reviews. I'll say, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But well, I, if you read the plot synapses, it's kind of the same. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, kind of the same ordeal without Harrison Ford. Um, yeah. Wesley Snipes instead of Harrison Ford. And he's actually the, a murderer or, or maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. I really don't remember. So, um, well, yeah, well it is, it is interesting because in some ways, like you were talking about the philosophical, uh, bent to, to sort of some of Nolan's movies and why we like those, um, in terms of juggling the action and the, and you know, that sort of deeper side. Um, I kind of was craving that a little bit through this movie, even though I was, you know, I was totally happy with it being just this straightforward thrill ride. Um, I was craving a little bit of that, uh, putting Dr. Kimball in situations that would make him on the outside make wrong decisions, but he's, he's sort of forced to do that. And they don't, they always give him an, an out in this movie. Um, every time that maybe he's going to do something slightly bad, you know, he's, he's always, he, he's always saved in some ways. Um, and it's okay because you, you do want him to be a, like a good character. And I think obviously the studios didn't want, uh, you know, probably wouldn't accept him being like a bad guy, uh, or making, you know, tough choices like that. Um, 
but you know, isn't there, don't you wish a little bit that there's like more of these situations where Kimball's put in this no win situation where he's got to make a really tough choice. Um, you know, I feel like that would be, um, kind of interesting and, and, and shape his character a little bit more. Cause you're right in, in that his character, he knows, you know, obviously he didn't do it. We know he didn't do it. Um, so in some ways he's a little bit one dimensional in terms of what he's actually doing. I mean, I think like what, what he's there for is to be the guy who outsmarts, um, Tommy Lee Jones, you know, and, and that's, and that's great. And it, and it works, but in some ways, I don't know, there, there could be a little more color in his, in his character, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I do agree. I think there's some moments that could have added a new level of, of conflict. Like the subway is pretty close to him yeah, having to make a, yeah. a decision, but he, and, and he gets blamed. They mention like, Oh, everyone thinks you're a cop killer now. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's sort of, there could have been something there or even his, um, his conflict with the guy at the end. Right. Um, it's just Harrison Ford in the, in this era is just punching his way out of everything. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and I think that there's part of it is the, the Indiana Jones side, but even Indiana Jones is a little bit more of a straight killer, you know, <laughs> it's like, true. It's true. Even, yeah. Even Indy has like more of an edge to him than, uh, <laughs> than, than Dr. Kimball. Kimball's like right. a, like a boy scout. He saves children at the, at the hospital in his volunteer hours, you know, like this, yeah. <laughs> this is what he's doing, but, but it is, yeah, I don't know. It is kind of interesting. Like, like the thing about, I think about uh, Batman in Batman Begins, where he's, you know, he he's pushed outside of the normal system, um, and so he has to do some things that are outside of the normal system. You know, he has to break some rules, um, and I, I, you know, that's that's a little bit what I was craving with, um, with with Kimball's character. I wanted him to be allowed to break a couple of rules more than, you know actually just being on the run and evading the cops and whatnot. You know what I mean? Like I, I wanted him to, to step out a little more because in some ways, like he's, you know, he's in the born situation. Everybody's hunting him. Everybody's on his, on his, you know, toes. He needs to make some, some critical decisions, you know? Um, but I don't know that the movie necessarily gets, gets to that point. Um, not a major criticism, but definitely something that I was sort of, um, desiring in some ways. Yeah. It, it, it simplifies kind of what's happening. And I think what's interesting about that is that because Kimball is so raw good, right. (laughs) It kind of shows like Tommy Lee Jones character as being a little bit more of on the gray. And that's what I think I love about his, the U S Marshals raid is that he's, um, deceptive in the beginning right with his crew they break down the door the criminal holds someone hostage and he basically almost blows off his own guy's head to kill him the the criminal right yeah and i just they set something up with him where it's like he's a he's a ruthless good guy or he's a ruthless uh disher of justice right yeah 
yeah. is kind of how he's set up. Um, and you still never get to see him. Like, like he doesn't play that hand with the characters at the end of the day either, right? So I do think that the conclusion, like the chase is engaging, the chase is fun, but you never see, like every, it, it has to be the happy ending uh, because the movie's out of time, you know? Yeah. And if it went on for another 30 minutes, maybe they could have uh, put the characters between a rock and a hard place, you know? But, um, like, they're, they're so close in that final conflict where um, Tommy Lee Jones is like, I believe you. But there's that kind of hint where you're like, does he believe him? Like, I don't know. Like, he is kind of that character that would just pull the trigger, right? Mm. Uh, and that so would be there's interesting, some- too, if he did that. If, yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah. there's something there, right? Uh, you You could have set something up there. And then... Like I think I think the thing that makes it sort of possibly fall flat is that the 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 corrupt doctor dude ends up, you know, getting a hold of a gun and trying to shoot Tommy Lee Jones because of his statement, Why believe you, you know? Um but they, they could have went in a in a couple different directions with it, right? So I yeah. don't know. It's yeah. I do agree. I think that the ending's the weakest, but they're just wrapping it up and they're not overthinking it. They're just going, you know. No, it, yeah, and that and and it's totally it totally works, and I think it's it's not um, bad. And I, I I agree with you though. the The end is sort of um, it's the weakest conflict in terms of what you're actually feeling because all of the problems have been solved other than sort of the violent altercations. You know what right. I mean? Like everything else in the movie, it's sort of c- coming to this point, but the point has already been solved when he walks into the, um, to the conference and he confronts him. Like that's, that's the, that's the sort of, you know, that's the main conflict of the movie, you know, sort of, you know, butting heads right there. And then, you know, the other stuff is sort of the, the physical aftermath. And so it's a little less punchy. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, wh- why is that scene where he's, you know, being chased down uh, the the sewer pipes, uh, you know, and he picks up his gun? And, you know, why is that so interesting? Part of it is because we don't know these characters yet, right? We don't mm-hmm. know if Kimball is going to, you know, shoot gerard to save his skin we don't know what kind of character gerard is um you know there's this there's just this um sort of you know we we have hints of who these guys are um but then at the end you know sort of everybody has their their place that they're they're in you know and so it, it all fits together kind of a little too neat for me at you know Again, it's it's not bad, but it's it just um like you said, they're they're just wrapping up the movie in in, in some ways in that sort of final conflict. Um, right. And I will say I'd love to have part of the movie be focused on sort of a reclamation of his character. Um and maybe this would happen in a more modern movie. Um mm. but uh, you know, Kimball, I think in the eyes of the public probably should still just be the murderer who's dangerous, who's on a run. You know, he smashed his, 
his wife's skull open. But then, you know, all the journalists are are on his side again and blah, blah, blah. You know, like like it just is like a, a very dramatic shift that they don't spend a lot of time on. Um, but I think maybe in a more uh, modern movie, it would be um, a focus to having him, you know, having Gerard be sort of maybe an advocate for Kimball or maybe he doesn't even like maybe that that statement of I don't care goes through the whole movie right maybe he says I'm doing my job I'm going to bring you in it doesn't matter if you're you know if I think you're innocent or not you're a fugitive you know that's what you are and I'm gonna put you away for it Um, right and there could have been a whole shift of Kimball becoming what you know, Tommy Lee Jones put him out to, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. There's there, it could have went in a couple of different directions and been more complex, but for what it is, right? Like for what it is, it's hard not to enjoy, you know? Like, totally. and, and so like, there's a part of me as a casual where it's like, I'm, I, I sure I could see the, the more complex, the more philosophical, the more, you know, artistic side, but yeah, like I'm, I, I'm only thinking that because I've seen a lot of great movies. Like I think general audiences like this movie because it is just a great sit through, you know? And, Mm. and I, I guess that sort of leads me into wanting to talk about where, like why, where is this movie now? Right what's going on with movies like this? Why, why does everything have to be either like post post modern, you know, or something like, or so deep into the, like everything everywhere, like couldn't be simple. It had to be, you know, this, this next level inception, funny, goofy, heartfelt toy story seven, like thing, you know, like, I'm like, what, I mean, it's, it's just where we're at, but is there a place for this? you know, today. Uh, I think and, in some ways it's, it's because movies like this exist already. I think that's the, it's unfortunate to say, but I think it's because something like the fugitives that takes the action movie and makes it just the most excellent distilled version. It can be, um, in terms of, you know, keeping your attention, having this high throttle, you know, good versus, you know, uh, good in a bad situation, you know, that, that kind of thing. Like it takes that, um, all those elements and maybe even tropes you could say, uh, and it, it, it does it sort of to the, the most, um, distilled degree. Um, I think it's hard to do a movie like this, uh, in a, in a, you know, in a world where, we have movies that are much more cynical, I guess. Um, yeah. It, you know, and, and that's sort in some ways, um, have I ever told you about the, the sort of cycle of, of genres? Um, no, no. Okay. Uh, let me just, um, let's see. So, um, I think the, uh, I forget where um, where this comes from, but basically the the cycle of genre um, it 
uh, it comes down to basically being, you know, in the first stage, it's, it's the, um, the, the most primitive version of what it is, right? It's the, um, you know, the early Western or the early, you know, film of this genre, you know, the early superhero movie. Maybe it doesn't have all of the, the classic tropes, but it's kind of, it's getting there. It's a, it's a step stool onto the, um, you know, even, or even, you know, is outside of the genre, um, but is kind of, uh, building the blocks that the, the rest of the genre will, you know, eventually come, come onto. Um, Mm. and then there's the classic, period you know that's the the 2010 superhero movies that's the you know sort of the um the you know the john four john wayne westerns you know it's the very you know it's like the hearty what you think of when you think of a genre movie and then there's the revisionist period after a certain time passes um you know people have gotten bored of the classic stuff they recognize the tropes they're there's they've decided that there's um you know too much sameness with the genre they want something new and that's where sort of a revisionist period happens where maybe they're influenced by other genres you know that you'll you'll have the um the the western superhero movie You'll have mm. Logan, you know, you'll have, you know, these, these more, maybe more serious, uh, pictures that, that sort of take the tropes of the genre and make it more, um, you know, make it more, um, more than just the, the, you know, the, the tropes. And then at the last stage, when, when the genre is dying, um, it becomes parody. Um, and so, you know, you'll get, you'll get the Western parody or you'll get the flash or you'll get, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just telling, you know, I don't know if the flash is truly a parody of, of the superhero genre, but this is sort but of, it is, but it is, know, it, you know. it could, it could be, I don't no, know. I'm just we, haven't we haven't seen, seen that. It. So. Um, but basically that's, that's sort of how, how, a that's the life cycle of a genre. Um, yeah. and you can see this sort of play out in multiple periods in, in, film history um and so to me like this was either you know in the in the 80s and the 90s this was sort of the classic period of um of sort of these high profile hollywood blockbuster action movies obviously there were earlier periods of action movies you know i'm not saying this was the only time um but you know this is where this is post you know, Indiana Jones, this was post, um, die hard. Uh, you know, this was sort of in that, in the, maybe the end of that period where things are, things are kind of the strongest in the genre. And then once you get to the sort of primitive, uh, you know, or sort of the, um, revisionist part of the genre, um, you know, you have movies like the matrix, you have, um, maybe even like heat or, you know, these sort of more serious movies. Um, it's, you know, it's tough to go back from there. Um, yeah. And so in some ways, I don't know, this is why, um, I don't know that we're going to get necessarily a movie like this in, you know, 2023, because we've, we've gone away from that, um, 
you know, from sort of the classic period of the genre. Right. So what about the anomalies that go two steps back post? I mean, does the cycle restart, you know, is film too young to see something like that? And the reason I bring it up is because there's a particular film I want to mention that sort of reminded me of this. And that was last year's Top Gun Maverick. The one thing I heard from all the old people after I watched that movie was that was such a good movie. That's, that's what movies should be like or something like that, you know? (laughs) And, uh, it's sort of like, huh, there is, there is some merit to what they're saying where it's like that kind of movie doesn't exist. And that is from that action period. It feels older, but still modern. Right. Um, so those throwbacks, are they just once in a blue moon? Is there potential for people to, I guess, re like produce something high end that's kind of a callback? I I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on that, Cameron? Um, I think, well, I think it really depends. Obviously, the the cycle of genres is a very like, I would say it's a primitive theory of what you know of what genres actually do. Um, it doesn't encompass everything. It doesn't encompass, um, you know, every example of every genre is just sort of a, it's a theory about, you know, how people sort of tend to, um, how these things sort of tend to evolve in the industry. Um, and I would say, you know, even with, with Top Gun Maverick, there's something about that movie, um, where you're right. It, it does feel like a classic, uh, it does feel like a classic action movie, but in that way, it also feels like a parody of a classic action movie. Mm. Um, and, and there's something about that. And, and I don't want, I don't mean to disparage the film cause I'm, I'm not, I'm truly not. Um, but in some ways the fact that it, it has the sort of a really similar structure to Top Gun. It has the, you know, them playing football on the beach and, it has the, you know, sort of the classics of that Top Gun actually, um, like pioneered in that way. Um, it does in, 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 in effect, it feels like a parody of the classics of the genre. Um, but it's a really good parody in that it, it just feels like a, a normal version of that movie. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying yeah. it's supposed to be funny, but in some ways it, it acts like a parody. Um, so it's hard to say, it's hard to say if, um, genres will go, will go in cycles. I'm sure, um, I'm sure they do. I'm sure these, you know, the action movie has been basically a constant genre in all of cinema, you know, starting from, from the very, very early days. Um, you know, think of the great train robbery, which we watched for this, for the show. Yeah. Um, you know, that's an, that's a primitive action movie. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure it does have these rotations and, you know, things, things follow each other in a cycle. Um, but it, you know, in, in some ways, um, I don't know if, you know, maybe this will be a renaissance period of the action movie. I think it's totally possible. Um, but in some ways, I'm not... I don't know that, 
you know, one movie necessarily makes makes a trend, um, though a lot of times these sort of changes in genre will come from one movie. So um, I think it's too early to tell, but uh, we'll see. I mean, I'd love to have movies that are very straightforward action movies that have that have that feeling, that energy, that sense of just being a a pure, um, you know, a, a pure, you know, thrill ride in, in that way. Um, right. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I always think about what Juzo said, cause in the past I'd be like, Oh, they should do this or they should do that. And it's like, I'm not a filmmaker. I, Ed Juzo always says like, I want directors to make what they want to make. That usually results in the best product. I mm-hmm. think there's something to that. Um, it's just interesting to look at trends and how, even if a movie is simple, like it can still be extremely enjoyable. And yeah. I think that, that like, I think so many film people lose, like they lose sight of that with, because they get spoiled with so many complex or, or unique films and, and things like that. And I, 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 um, I'm, I love when there's sort of a unanimous agreement on a simple film. Uh, and, and I would say Maverick was one of those movies for a lot of people that Definitely. they were like, well, I mean, it's hard to deny that the film is good and, and enjoyable. And I think people probably feel the same way about the fugitive, you know, I don't really know if I've ever met anyone who's seen it. Who's like, I hate that movie. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like most people are like, yeah, yeah. You sure. Know? What is, I mean, what is there to hate? It's, it's yeah. fun. It's interesting. That's the other thing I think is missing maybe from a lot of, um, a lot of modern movies. I feel like have this, this sort of deconstructionist tendency where they want to take things apart. Um, this movie is purely a movie about, a good guy who's in a bad situation, who's being chased by a, you know, mostly good guy. Uh, like there's something very archetypical about the character, the, the falsely accused man, um, and the sort of the zealous law man, you know, there's something very like American about these stereotypes. There's something very like, classically um like it's it's like archetypal you know you want Mm. you want both of them to to succeed and that's kind of what i was saying because they are these sort of archetypes of of characters you want to see in this kind of movie um a lot of movies i think i think honestly archetypes are are a well of um of both good and lazy writing, I guess. Um, but a lot of movies want to um, <clears throat> deconstruct sort of these archetypes. Um, not a lot of them want to make them sort of ring as the characters, um, which is why something like Maverick works, where it's like these are sort of archetypical characters. You want, you know, the the sort of heroic rogue and the, you know, brash young, um, you know, rebel, you, you like, these are, these are sort of things that you see in movies or stories, you know, across time. And so there's, there's something very like 
um, our brains fill in the rest. You know what I mean? You don't need to yeah. see a lot of these characters. You know what they are. You know who Dr. Richard Kimball is, um, you know, based on, on your first interactions with him. You know who, you know, maybe even more so, you know who Gerard's character is. Um, you know, and that's something that I think not a lot of movies are leaning into nowadays. I think they True. want to be like subversive and they want to be sort of in this, in this realm of, um, of turning things on their head or making things, you know, less archetypical. Um, but in some ways, like it works because it works, you know, and it's been this, this sort of character type for so long because there's some, maybe there's something, um, true or aspiring to it. I don't know what it is, but it, you know, I'm not, I don't know, not a fl wholly fleshed out idea of mine, but there's something, um, there's something honest about these these characters that we fundamentally will understand when they're on screen. Um, yeah. So I I'm not sure I'm not sure um, what that means, but I think I think in some ways that's maybe what people are craving from movies nowadays and what they got in Maverick. You know, they got the archetype. They got I've... something that was strong in that character. That's like, you know you know, in that groove, I guess. I think you're onto something, Cameron. I actually, I actually think this is probably the Hollywood's uh, biggest issue. I mean, I've, I've noticed that some forums and people are talking about how writing has kind of, uh, you, do you, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like there's, there's yeah. a criticism on writing in video games and movies and TV, the whole, like he's right behind me. Isn't he kind of writing, right? The, the um, disgusted the, Marvel, the Marvel, Marvel, like yeah. oh, you know, yeah, like like t turning things on its head, yeah. And and people are like, man, I just don't like, like I feel like so many current action movies or, or franchises try to do this thing where they set up a character who's pulling from many different archetypes, right? Uh, like you look at someone like Iron Man, who he's like the he's. Sure, he's like the 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 playboy rich guy, you know. He's he's got all the money. Uh, he's sort of almost the Batman esque cool. But then they're like, well, now we're also gonna mix in like a political side with the weapons making, and then we're also gonna mix in a side that he's actually a really good guy. When in the comics, like Tony Stark is not a good guy, right? Like it's kind of like Stanley openly talks about in the comics. I wrote this character because. I thought to myself, who's somebody that everyone would hate, right? Uh, a rich weapons maker, right? <laughs> and then how can I, how can I, um, how can I write him into a hero role that adds something unique? And and sure, you can get into like the, and I and I think Iron Man's a great character, but there's a lot of, it's it's establishing something that people haven't normally considered, right? And so in the first Iron Man film no one stands out but Iron Man, right? He is the whole entire focus. The audience is trying to wrap their head around who this guy is, right? And get invested in every little detail that he he performs, right? All the other characters, they have small scenes. That you can you could tap into some of the archetypes with them, but I think what makes the first Iron Man work and what makes the other ones a little bit more muddy is that they should have just continued to stick with archetypes for the rest of the 
you know, the trilogy, right. Um, of his best friend, that's it. You know, like he's the best friend, you know? And, and like, I, I just, I, okay. I'm probably getting to rambling. Maybe Iron Man is not the best example, but do you know what I'm trying to say, Cameron? It's like, if somebody would take advantage of archetypes instead of trying to craft every single side character to have, you know, a tragic backstory and a unique feature, like, I think in some ways what it is, is it's like a tone thing. And I was, um, while you were talking, I was trying to think of, um, this is going to be such a nerd reference for like four people. Um, We're shooting up from the hip right now. So we're getting uh, somewhere. You know, four spoken, um, you know, that that game that was kind of semi panned, um, that came out pretty recently. Um, and a lot of people were, I, I just saw on Twitter, I didn't play the game, but a lot of people were complaining about the character being like this sort of Marvel, like kind of semi girl bossy, like, Oh, I'm going to make a funny quip at the camera. Um, we need to have like a word for it, but like, it's, it's like the forespoken archetype of like, um, something happens. I say something funny, right? you know? And like, there's, that's. Like who's who's a better character or who's a better example than the character in <laughs> Forspoken, the game that um, like five people have played? Um, let me think. Let me think. Like I, I would I say the it's like the very the Marvel girl from Disney. Thor, <laughs> the girl from the girl Thor. from Thor, which Thor? Uh, the first one and maybe the third, no, or the no. fourth one. Nah, it's it's more like it's more recent than that. It's not like Captain Marvel, but it's very like. It's like, did that really just happen? You what? know that. Kind yeah, of, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> Karen, did I... what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, but that's exactly it. Like, um, something happens. I make a funny joke about the thing that happens, and I never am. Like, I'm not an actual character. I'm just there to to make like funny quips. Maybe like She Hulk. I guess I didn't watch that show either. But like, um, that's the vibe I get from from. Uh, the character that I've, that I've seen. Um, there's yeah. something about that, that character that like, that's, that's been the main character, um, in every Marvel movie, um, in every Disney movie, that's kind of been the archetype <laughs> since all the, all the rest of them have gone out the window. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I agree. I think, I think we want, maybe we crave something a little more, um, back to the roots, you know, we want, we want to go back to, to sort of not simplistic characters, but people who are actually sort of, um, you know, who feel like real people, I guess. I don't know. There's something about it that, that like all of these, the sort of Marvel hero archetype, um, feels very like manufactured. Um, but you know, Kimball, I mean, no, he doesn't feel like uh, a real guy, but in some ta- in some ways, he feels like a, um, like every real guy put together. You know, every every good dude who's been a, put in a bad situation that you've ever seen on screen. Yeah, um, you know, he's he's all of them sort of put together, um, and I think it I think it just works in a movie like this. And and I I want I do want um, writers to start embracing that feeling of, um, making someone who, 
who has an acknowledged sort of archetype has has something that um, we all recognize and we all can understand and it doesn't have to be only that you know he can have he can it, it can be that can be just the building blocks of of the character you make things well, on top of that the other thing that I think is interesting about the archetype conversation is because we're I mean we're not writers so I'm sure most if you are like a professional writer and listening to this you're like dude everything is pulled from an archetype in a certain way right um, but I find that like instead of like you look at characters from Lord of the Rings right you have Legolas and Gimli and they're like their presences like n- nerdy archetypes and their personalities are also like archetypes of like the quiet, accurate, uh, maybe a little bit more like shy, but confident. And then like Gimli is very loud and, and kind of in your face. Right. And how they build a friendship right there or Boromir having kind of that corrupt dark side in the party, kind of the unhinged group. Right. There's something about that, that, each character has an archetype and then it can go a layer deeper because you just understand who they are off the bat. Right. Um, whereas it seems like other movies, I keep bringing this up, but everything everywhere, uh, it was like, they kept like going a layer deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where I've just felt a little like as much as I enjoyed the movie, there was a side of me that was kind of, like I had a headache. I was like, couldn't this movie be a little simpler? Couldn't this movie not be so <laughs> deconstructionist? Like, couldn't we just like, you know, there, there's so much that's good about this movie. Does it have to be so satirical, fourth wall breaking? Arch- every archetype character has an emotional depth from, you know, their childhood trauma or whatever. It's, it's just like, I was like, man, this is just like, it, it's, it's overload a little bit. Um, and maybe that's part of the movie's charm and why people like it. It's in the title, right? Yeah. Um, but I just, yeah, I, I feel like more often than not, modern media does like the blank slate character and they want you to try to piece it together they keep doing that for everyone and it just results in noise and, and negative focus. Um, another, like I, I guess another good example of, of what people try to do with their characters and somebody I always think of, uh, and it's why Blade Runner 2048 didn't, or 2049, whatever it is, didn't work for me. Uh, the first time I watched it is that, um, a movie that we talk about on this show and I talk about is, the film drive with Ryan Gosling and that movie puts uh, the driver character sort of in this space of like, you're really unsure who he is and what he's capable of. And there is no archetype. You're really unaware of like, it's like his, his blank slate is a mystery that you begin to invest in and it unrolls and, and shocks you and goes in all these different directions. Right. Uh, and because that movie has a cult following and there's, there's some like resonance in Hollywood with that, then you look at, uh, 2049 or whatever. And it's like Ryan Gosling again is playing a blank slate and people defend it by saying, well, he's supposed to be a robot. So that's why he's blank. But it's like, it's like, it's at now I look at that movie and it's like, yes, of course it's, it's very good. Right. Uh, <laughs> I was wrong on my first viewing. But there was something that I was like, I was wishing I could 
like when I watched the first Blade Runner, I was like, oh, I get it. Harrison Ford's a detective, you know, like it, and and that's it. Like he's just grumpy and he he has to hunt down these guys. And then suddenly it because that archetype's established, there's something that kind of begins to unravel about him throughout the movie. Um I don't I know this is probably me- this is a messy brainstorm and a messy conversation for the audience, but do you am I saying anything that makes sense, Cameron? Or Yeah, I think well, I think yeah, I think what you're getting at is is there's a tendency for you know, the total opposite of the archetype of making uh there be you know, a blank slate or, you know, there being no archetype, there being sort of this, this totally, you know, detached, um, character that, that we can all sort of imprint upon. Uh, but in some ways that, that decon, you know, disconnects us, right. It, it makes us less likely to get involved in their story because we, we, we have a harder time understanding them. Um, cause really but that's even, nobody e- that we know, right? E- nobody even, is a blank slate. Yeah. Even further is that they'll do this blank slate thing only to unveil that or unveil that the character is, is an archetype. And it's like, why didn't mm. you just, I don't know. You know, like, I think that's probably also part of an, uh, the audience's frustration in some of these situations. Well, but you where, see, I, I appreciate that a little bit more because I think that, um, that says something more about the character. I mean, I think I think for something like Blade Runner, right? There's a there's a certain amount of um, you know he is the whole point of that movie. He's finding who he is in some ways. He's finding his his purpose in a world that he's been built you know into, and and he doesn't really have one. He's he's lost, and so you're you're following him on this on this journey to to find out who he is. And through that, he becomes, um, something, uh, he, he find you know, I guess no spoilers, but, um, there's like an, there's in some ways there's an implied meaning in that, in that movie. Um, and it does a really good job of, I, I think, I mean, when I, I, it was 2017 when I saw it, so I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, but, um, from what I remember, there was a there was a turning point in terms of his character being, you know, uh, having a search for meaning and then realizing that the search was his meaning. Mm. Um, and there was there was something very, um, you know, I mean, Villeneuve is he's he's an interesting uh, filmmaker and he he he's able to. Um, to find a lot of um, meaning and sort of these small connections and these, these things that are very, um, you know, ethereal. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm in agreement now because after my first, after my first viewing, I got over the fact that, you know, I, I, I still, I was still learning how to watch movies and whatnot. And because it didn't fit the mold that I wanted to view. Right. I went in being like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to watch another Blade Runner movie and then it didn't really do that for me, right? Mm-hmm. The first viewing. So watching it again, I was like, oh, oh, you know, there is something here, right? Um, but I think that's a powerful tangent, Cameron. I think there's power in archetypes and there, it's almost like, I think 
when I'm thinking about it now in some of my favorite movies, the use, the effective use of archetypes allows the writer to catch the audience up with a character way faster than if you establish it from a blank slate and waste a bunch of screen time on it. Yeah, one hundred percent. And yeah. that and that's its purpose. But it's just like, why does it feel like movies aren't using that more? I mean, that's what I I'm thinking about another movie like Seven, where they set up the archetype so strong with so fast, with the, yeah, so quickly, right? You understand exactly who Brad Pitt is, understanding Morgan Freeman is, and then it's just. It's like, okay, you know exactly who they are within the first 10 minutes, right? And then it's just layers and layers and layers on top of them. And and it like it it makes the movie one of the best, right? Totally. Uh, and that and whole so movie, we, I mean, even the villain is talking about the archetypes of evil. <laughs> like that's the whole point of the villain, you know. I mean, that 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 movie is like archetype city basically. 101 you know? maybe. <laughs> even Don't dish it. Speaking of the city, even the city is an archetype for cities. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. All right. So next week we're reviewing seven again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I kind of feel like, would it be fun to do like a 90s movie, a 90s action movie? Uh, I, ha- I had an idea. I don't know if you're going to like this. Um. I know you said you wanted to revisit the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Ooh. That is something. I mean, talk about archetypes, right? Yeah. All um, filled with archetypes, for sure. Yeah. The other idea I had was visiting iconic action movies from decades starting from like the 60s up into modern. Mm, okay. Um, and so, I mean, th- this is a kickoff, you know, Fugitive, well known. I-, I would say that I don't know if this is the most iconic 90s action movie. But I think, you know, maybe there's a way we can look at the best action movies of, you know, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, right? And just kind of, we'll, we'll pick out a list from there. And, I mean, that sounds super unless, you fun. Want, unless you want to go even earlier, right? I mean, I don't know. I just, at a certain point, the action is kind of like, puts you to sleep. But Well, I think... We, I think a little bit of Ben Hur. We can get a little bit Ben Hur in there, you know. Ben Hur. Yeah. That I honestly would be really fun. Um, I'm trying to think uh, because, I mean, if we wanted to, we could we could go from the uh, the the early days of cinema. We don't have to, but um, if we wanted to go from from the 50s, um, like the 30s, I feel like action movies were very. um, There was the serial action movie, so it was. Um. Uh, there was like a bunch of of sort of like swashbuckling movies. Yeah, I uh, see. I if we watch old really action movies, I want to watch like some scale action. You know, where they're tripping horses. You know, and and really, <laughs> really going wild with it. Right, breaking no, horses' I, legs and yeah. I know what you mean. I feel like I feel like if we started with I I. So Ben Hur is a really good choice. It is like three hours long, so I don't. No, I know. I've, I, I've, it's been so long since I've seen it. I don't even remember. I just but know the chariot scene. With the, if we started with the sixties, um, we we would we should start with Bullet. I mean, obviously. See, I have no idea what that is. I've never even heard of Sa- it. So. Classic San Francisco movie. Oh yeah. All right. Well, I mean, that let's do it. Let's do some decades of action. That'd be a lot of fun. Decades of action. Okay. Let's see. Yeah. 
And then well, that'll lead us right into uh, October. So we got, I mean, well, that's the thing is we're going to be going into horror here, Cameron. So we are I mean, going to be got, going into horror. Yeah. We, got, we got three weeks of it, right? So I don't care. You can, you can kind of go off particular decades. You know, if we've watched a lot of action from certain eras, I think it would be fun to do, you know, the, the, the 50s, 60s, do like a 70s, 80s, and maybe a 90s, 2000s sort of like... Mm. Uh, maybe 2000s, 2010s. We the can... problem with the 70s is that all the action movies kind of suck from the 70s. It well, I mean, like the worst sk- era like, for 70s. Jump like... into 80s, you know. I mean, we could die we hard. Could... Have you ever seen I mean, Die Hard? Of course, of course. We can't. So we can't good. do Die Hard. Yeah, I mean, why it's not though? The... Why? I want to watch it. it. I want to. <laughs> it's so good. There's so much to choose from. The all right, okay, here, here. I'll do it. I'll do it. Top 80s <laughs> action movies. Here. Because I've seen a lot. Of, I mean, come on. My dad grew up in the 80s. So, of course. Yeah. Uh, of course, I've seen a, a bunch of these, right? All right. Let's go down this list here. This is something I haven't seen. I haven't seen the first Terminator in a long time. But I know Terminator 2 is much better. I still haven't seen that in a long time. But we've seen them, you know? Yeah. Robocop, seen it. Yeah, yeah seen it. Love seen Robocop. It, seen it, seen it. Robocop is so good. I watched that for a film class, actually. <laughs> I've never seen Commando. I have no idea what that is. Yeah. Uh, it just looks like Predator, but not as good. Oh yeah, Aliens, I feel like Die Hard. I th- honestly, I'd be. I wanna rewatch Die Hard. <laughs> I know you do. How about <laughs> Superman Two? That's right here. Superman Two's good. The director's cut is good. Dang. A lot of Star Wars on here. Yeah, Die Hard. Escape from New York, Cameron. Have you seen that? I have, yeah. yeah I thought it was good. just okay, but I thought it was good. Lethal Weapon, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, That's I pretty love 80s. Big Trouble in Little China. I don't know if I've seen that actually. Oh, it's so good. It's kind of on the parody end of action. Yeah, this, but I haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop, nineteen eighty four. I have not seen They Live, 1988. We're getting towards the bottom. Conan the Barbarian, I have not seen either. They I, Live isn't really an action movie. I have never seen 1989's the, uh, uh, Batman movie. Oh, really? Tim Burton's Batman movie. No, That I'm movie not. is crazy, but kind of, kind of good. It's kind of good. I have not seen Midnight Run. That's 1988. Me neither. First Blood. Silverado, 1985, Western. No idea. Runaway, 1984, and that's it. I don't know. That's the only. Those are the only action movies. Those are the only ones that came out in the 80s. That is <laughs> it. Let's see what IMDb says. Yeah, they obviously put Die Hard first. Predator. I mean, Beverly Hills Cop is number five. I've never seen that. And Big Town Little China is six. So I have not seen the original Top Gun either. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> Red Dawn. It's supposed to be a classic. Um, I guess if we these... did 80s movies that you haven't seen, Big Trouble in Little China would be that would be the one. Yeah. Let's see. 
trying to see if there's anything else. I feel like there's something that there's got to be something. Man, these the the ratings are getting lower and lower. Scarface, you never seen Scarface? It's eighty three. Mm. Some Bond movies. Running Man. The Running Man is eighties. Well, anyways. We'll let you choose, Cameron. I think we should start older first. Start older. Start okay. older. We only have three weeks, though, so. I know. So we could do 60s, 70s, 80s? Your call. Your call, man. Um, we could do Bullet. 70s. I mean, they just have terrible action movies. It's because there was a. They weren't making big budget movies, really, in the 70s. It was it was a it was a problem. The French Connection. Yeah, I've never seen that, but here here it's good. What about the Warriors, dude? They made a video um, game like twenty years later. I always think of that movie as an eighties movie, although I know it's seventy nine, but it feels so eighties. You know what I mean? Right, right. But uh, tons I mean, of Cl- dude, there's tons of Clint Eastwood in the seventies. Yeah, I mean, westerns I would say are different than. But no, it's there's like, like Dirty Harry, cops, like dirty, yeah, Dirty, dirty Harry, Harry, yeah, Enforcer, That's Magnum true. Force, that kind That's of stuff. True. You ever see um, uh, what's the one with Charles Bronson? <laughs> we I watched know. one of them. Um, oh, what's that one? I think that's seventies. Um, Death Wish. <laughs> we watched Death Wish too. I think we did with with JD, or maybe oh, Death Wish three. Oh gosh! Now I you're triggering something. Are you so. Are you remembering? Let me look. On I think YouTube it's Death Wish three. I think that's the one we watched. Basically, they <laughs> everyone everyone he knows is dead. Um. Uh, but he goes to this, you know, weird kooky town and he has to kill all the thugs. Um, what the heck? And there's the scene, <laughs> it's the scene where he, um, <laughs> he, he's swinging a camera around <laughs> so that the thugs can take his camera so that he can shoot him in the back. <laughs> Dude. That movie's crazy. Yeah. We should uh, we should stick to good movies, Cameron. Oh, okay, I guess. I yeah. mean, like as much as I'd like, uh, it does look pretty crazy. It does look pretty uh, action packed here, <laughs> blowing up cars and stuff. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, we watched that with with JD. <laughs> He's hip firing a an MG forty two. I mean, I guess there's not really a stock. I don't know. But yeah, this looks like a, a good Friday night movie with JD. Definitely. <laughs> um all right, well that sounds like a plan. We need to wrap it up. I gotta I gotta crash before the next day of work. But thank you guys for listening to our rambles about writing, even though we're not writers. Watch the fugitive if you haven't seen it. And we'll be back next week with some more action. Until then, have a good one. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. 
Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.